Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Print Show. I am your host, Nicholas Lorimer. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Herman Pretorius. Herman, how are you doing? Hello, I, uh, I'm apologetic for the delay I caused, but I'm glad to be here. No worries, no worries. And we're also joined today by Makone Majo. Makone, how are you? Hello, hello. Good to be back here with you guys. Very good to have you back. Right, so let's go into what is probably going to be the last manifesto we talk about this year, and that is the ANC's manifesto. Of course, probably the most important of the manifestos that we've seen in this election campaign so far, as even if the ANC has a terrible election, even worse than what the polls suggest, they will probably still be the largest party in the country and may very, very likely remain at least in coalition government, uh, even in some of the worst case scenarios. So it's important to see what their plans are for the next five years. And like all of the big parties, they started off their manifesto by talking about South Africans' number one issue, which is jobs. Now, uh, let me just run through some of their ideas here. They say that uh, they want to put South Africa to work through public employment programs that create work opportunities in public, small businesses, and social sectors. They want to create and sustain 2.5 million work opportunities delivering public goods and services in communities. This includes work done through the presidential employment stimulus, funding to civil society through nonprofit companies, and organizations to provide work opportunities, expand and industrialize the National Youth Service in partnership with the SANDF, and work opportunities for unemployed graduates. They want to engage the public sector on job creation to contribute to national efforts to create employment and get South Africans working. They want to continue to promote and monitor employment equity to ensure that black people, women, and persons with disabilities are represented in the public and private sectors, in the professions and artisanal sectors, towards the growth of a vibrant, non-racial, non-sexist middle strata crucial to the national development. Um, and they bring up this phrase, middle strata, quite a few times, actually, in the manifesto. Uh, just before I go to you guys, I just want to talk a little bit about then their ideas for what they call the industrial economy. They say that South Africa's economy has a choice of transforming or stagnating as their current economic model, which relies on exports and imports, has a high level of inequality, stifles job creation and inclusive growth. We need a radical shift to broad-based industrialization, employment, youth and women's empowerment by 2030. Uh, when talking about the industrial economy, they say they want to advance industrialization as a driver of economic transformation with active support for localization and high growth and labor intensive industries um, among those are they want to engage in direct financial institutions to invest a portion of their funds in industrialization infrastructure development and the economy through prescribed assets they want to align fiscal and trade policy along with the transformation of the Trans, uh, financial sector to meet the basic needs and support job creation and industrialization. They want to expand the so-called Black Industrialist Program to 2,000 companies. They want to accelerate land reform and redistribution to reduce asset inequality and protect security of tenure, improve food security and agricultural production, promote rural and urban development, and enable greater access to housing. And they say that they will, quote, fix the current constraint in electricity, transports, and logistics. Um, interestingly, I didn't see the word expropriation there. Perhaps it was later on in the document because the, the, their document is a little bit weird and that it sort of kind of repeats its, its point bullet points twice. Um, so I may have missed it, but, uh, interesting that in the first go around, they don't actually mention that. So 
Herman, let me start with you. What do you make of this plan here? I mean, it's not super detailed here, but there is an awful lot of it seems to me. Uh, we'll just do what we're currently doing, but we'll do it better. Yeah, so there's 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 a wonderful story about, I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Oscar Wilde or someone like that, who um, received a manuscript from a young writer and asked him to review it. And the review came back saying, I thought your manuscript was both good and original. The parts that were original were not good, and the parts that were good were not original. And it's sort of similar to the ANC here. It is both terrifying and naive. The bits that are naive are terrifying, and the bits that are terrifying are terribly naive, in the sense that they talk about job creation and economic you know, empowerment and freedom, and then actively pursues a list of policies that disincentivizes the whole bunch. There seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding about what value-add employment actually means. You will realize that all the employment talk is about creating state-based opportunities for people to be insourced for employment, not to liberalize the market and ensure competition and ensure people with talent and time and in ingenuity can participate and become problem solvers and earn income that way. No, it's all about what the government programs can do. Um, and the parts that are terrifying are uh, innocuous little details, like talking about how they will use monetary policy to affect the transformation of the financial sector. Monetary policy is essentially is the province of the South African Reserve Bank. That is how much money there is literally RAND value printed and made available to manage inflation. So when they talk about aligning monetary policy, we look at fiscal policy, trade policy, and monetary policy as the three policies that they talk about harnessing to bring about this mythical change. On trade policy, it's schizophrenic and destructive in the sense that in one paragraph, they will say they will Im impose ta taxes on export. And in the next paragraph, or a page or what later, they will talk about how they need to harness exports for uh, you know, creating local economic activity. So they both incentivize and disincentivize the idea of exporting. Their trade policy isn't worth nothing. Then we look to their fiscal policy, and then we look at someone like Pravin Gordon, which essentially blew up South Africa's debt system, and they make no indication of bringing the government's fiscal house in order. Despite Enoch Gordon-Guana you know, trying to play it safe, this is a high-spend, massive commitment uh, policy manifesto. They talk about the NHI, that'll cost billions. They talk about expanding state employment, that'll cost billions. They talk about raising grants, that'll cost billions. And the only time they actually veer close to offsetting the cost of the manifesto is when they make such platitudinous promises like they will engage with the private sector on job creation. This is a manifesto that doubles down on expropriation without compensation as a means to empower people. It doubles down on the NHI. It reintroduces prescribed assets that the IRR defeated two years ago and managed to turn the financial industry against. And then that's the terrifying bit. Then we get onto the naive thing that they will build a fourth industrial revolution economy for South Africa's youth when the youth is studying calculus by candle. 
They talk about fixing South Africa's ports with new technologies. I mean, these technologies haven't been hiding from them over the last few years. It's just been, you know, regulated out of accessibility or the victim of power issues. So the bits that actually seem like, oh, they've got solutions is terribly terribly naive. This is a terrifying document, it's a repetitive document, and it's a tra tra tragically unimaginative document. But what I must add is that I'm, I'm glad it is an ideological document. There is no, you know, Mbeki manual type of pragmatism here. This is a socialist document. It is com comfortably left of center, and it commits to that on every page. And that's what makes it terrifying and naive. So, Makona, on that uh, uh, second point there um, that Herman was making about the fourth industrial revolution, there is, I sort of smell the ghost of, ghost of Stalin somewhere here. And I don't mean in the gulag sense. I mean in the sense that you kind of get the impression from reading ANC documents that the ANC kind of thinks that we're in like the year 1910, and we're transitioning from a mostly agricultural society into a, uh, you know, rapidly modernizing state. And we need some sort of five-year plan of some sort, which will uh, industrialize the economy. We're going to create all of these wonderful factories and simply build them. And, you know, the, the real problem up till now is that we just, we just haven't built the factories. We just haven't created the industrialists. And that once we do that, uh, all the problems will go away. Everyone will have lots of work and will be a modern, thriving economy. Um, do you agree with me that that's sort of how their thinking comes across? And what do you make of uh, the bits I've read out so far? Definitely. I think, Nick, this was partly because the ANC was perhaps trying to cram too much into what is already a very long document, about 60 pages, right? And so they can only really give one-liner superficial attention to critical issues in the country, up to and including load shedding, right, which is not nearly as as much addressed as it should be in the documents and you see this by how they'll for example shout out veterans and how there's a need in the country to take care of our veterans but if you actually look on the um, recipient of social grants in the country there's about 15 15 one five veterans in the country that today received that veterans grant so there's really no need to make that whole document or even try to uh, put attention on veterans as though there's a need right to to bring in, uh, attention to them but also there's a line in the in the in the manifesto itself that made me chuckle the nc talks about looking to address believe it or not toxic masculinity this in a country without paved roads full of potholes without it we can't even get our electricity rights we can't we we, we have schools in the country we have communities in the country that still use pit latrines and guess what we're aiming for toxic masculinity but but it's not just that. I mean, even even if you thought that that was the most important priority, like the ANC is not a credible organization to tackle that. No, no. Kwezi was rolling in her grave when they put that in there, right? Kwezi, the alleged um, victim of Jacob Zuma. But we shall not dwell on that. Um, so yeah, they, they, the the document was trying to address too many things without really giving any giving any specifics or detail to much needed issues like lack of jobs and stuff. But I, I will commend them. I think and give the devil their due, I think those priorities they've outlined are legit, right? The need for job creation, the need for investments. If you actually read it, it almost reads like the, the IRR's growth plan. <laughs> the IRR's blue line. Herman is turning in his chair. I also mean... No, no, hold on, hold on. 
Uh, oh. <laughs> I, I, I assume you mean in the structure. <laughs> Not in the structure, just in highlighting things like the need for jobs and investment. The very, I think it's the perhaps after the, the index, the page that t- points out seven priorities that the government needs to focus on not in the detail not in the implementation because of course there will be none and now i feel like that. <laughs> I feel like that. Um, i'm intrigued it resembles the irr's writing in the sense that it uses words and 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 the english language predominantly that is the extent the oh, and it's published. of problems it's... in the country but this this yes. this is a, a rather remarkable thing actually about anc race freak often is that it's very like Man, crime is bad. You know, so many people are poor. The economy is not growing. Corruption, state then, capture. Yeah, corruption, it's all terrible. And then they'll go on to, anyway, so we're just going to keep doing what we were doing. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and the, 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 the AM season has, you know, always when it comes to an election campaign, they see the same polling we do. They know that unemployment ranks top. They know that crime is a problem. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't... I, I've got a sleeping Dachshund to my left, to my right here, that would probably be able to come to the same conclusions about national priorities. So I don't think there's any due for the devil here. This is a, this is a, a, a serial killer while stabbing their latest victim, saying, "Oh, don't you just hate it when people die unnecessarily?" <laughs> All right, let me go on a little bit more with the next section. Um... They talk about the cost of living. Uh, they want to prioritize food security, including through VAT exemptions on essential items. Um, uh, interestingly, the DA manifesto said the same thing, but they, I think, specified precisely what they wanted to have VAT exempted, whereas the ANC sort of just hand waves it here away a bit here. Um, they say they will act against price fixing, and the sort of implication there is the cost of living crisis is being caused by some sort of evil white monopoly capital price fixing. Um, they want to promote cheaper and subsidize solar power, which is all good and well, but they I'm pretty sure they're scrapping in the budget the subsidy for solar power. So that's a bit at odds there. Uh, they want to introduce measures to regulate rental prices for student accommodation. They want to ensure the national minimum wage increases in line with inflation and will have full compliance. They want to strengthen income support through existing social grants and the use of the social relief of distress grants as a mechanism towards phasing in a basic income support grant. Um, then they sort of go on to some other things, which I think we can get to in a second. But McCorney, what's your take on those cost of living ideas? How I miss Tito Mboweni when he said that social grants will not grow the economy, but investments will. Um, I don't think that we are going to achieve economic growth through expanding our social security system. I think it's already it's already broad enough. And as far as the cost of living is concerned, I think... Herman's analogy of being stabbed in while also <laughs> expressing concern over your victim <laughs> certainly applies here, which is that we have escalated our cost of living and have wiped off the value about 30 whatever percentage of the rent's been wiped off the market because of poor, poor uh, policy making on the part of the government. Um, I did think there was a lot of focus on renewable energy and renewable infrastructure in the in in the manifesto that I think because the government is so destructive and wants to make sure that all initiatives are initiated by them rather than through private sector inclusion, we will likely not see happen. Vietnam built, it took what, a year to build the infrastructure, I think 
to set up solar panels, but then took four years to build transmission lines, right? I think we could probably halve that time if we left it all to private sector. If we said that those 14,000 kilometers worth of transmission lines that we want to build from the panels into the grid, how about you just let the private sector do that, right? How about you let them not just construct the solar panels, but also the necessary transmission lines to transmit electricity on the grid. But you'll likely not see that happen from government because they insist on doing everything themselves and shutting out private sector involvement. So let's move on to the next section. Um, they have a section here called Enhancing Freedom and Democracy. Uh, they also have some stuff on investing in people. So the investing in people is kind of a bit of a mix of a whole bunch of things, including fixing local government. Uh, here's the ANC's national plan to fix local government. Give national and provincial governments more power to intervene to provide clean water where municipalities are struggling to properly provide the service, build maintenance capacity, and complete water infrastructure projects. Um, then there's this somewhat vague aspirational goal, which I'm not sure quite how they get to do it. Strengthen the role of families in supporting both younger and older citizens, giving special attention to the responsibilities of the family in raising children. Okay. Sounds good. How are you going to do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> overhaul the immigration system in line with the draft white paper on citizenship, immigration, refugee protection to deal with the issue of irregular and illegal migration, simplify visa application procedures, introduce a unified citizen refugee and migration law, Build a capable and developmental state, strengthen links between government of all levels and the people, rebuild and improve local government, build a professional and developed public service based on the Batopele principles and strengthen cooperative governance through the district development model. They also say that they will advance progressive internationalism and solidarity with the peoples of Palestine, Western Sahara and Cuba. Uh, so we're going to wield our great influence on the world stage to give Cuba more money or something. I don't know. <laughs> what do you make of all those? Well, it is, it is, it is, it is annoying. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't even rise to the, you know, energy of an outrage in the sense that they are admitting failure. This is what they are doing. They are admitting failure at local governments governance level and their solution is to put the people who've been in charge of national failures in charge of local failures i mean just just applaud them for that level of creativity um what 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 grinds my gears here is that nothing no, essentially none of the real problems in south africa um have complex solutions that doesn't mean they're easy but the solutions themselves aren't complex and they will take time. For example, rebuilding the South African family. I mean, whatever political party might say about that, it, it, I don't know how they will get to that. But the destruction of the South African family was a consequence of bad socioeconomic policy. And you can rebuild it by incentivizing the right uh, factors, by making sure that uh, socioeconomic tide lifts all boats. But when it comes to the type of drivel of um, fixing ports and fixing rail infrastructure, this, this parts of this reads like an opposition manifesto, like they haven't been in power for the last 30 years. And it just reminds me of whenever the ANC marches on the Thule House to demand more jobs or whatever less corruption from the ANC. It is a spectacularly insular, isolated and frankly ridiculous document. And the idea that we will 
have the world stage um, as as our you know our oyster and be able to promote these wonderful values. I mean, that will be if we can afford enough diesel for Ramaphosa to take off in the first place. The problem, however, goes deeper than that. The ANC of today is not the ANC of Mandela, and I wish business in South Africa and across the world will realize that, and I think they are starting to realize that. We, I always refer to the instance where the Health and Racket Club Leisure Center franchise in South Africa was on the point of failure in the late 90s. Nelson Mandela picked up the phone, phoned Richard Branson and said, I think you want to start a gym franchise in South Africa. And Richard Branson said, I, I, I don't think so. And Mandela said, no, I, I really think you do. And Mandela's influence saved 2,100 jobs overnight. This is a type of leadership where you can pick up the phone and the world will answer. That was what Mandela bought with his political capital. Ramaphosa has none of that, none of that. And I think what stands out from last week's budget more than anything is how weak a president Ramaphosa really is. Mandela changed the constitution to have Chris Liebenberg be made Minister of Finance, and he backed him. Ramaphosa couldn't even muster the courage to back Boweni when he had some good ideas and good uh, warnings about debt, and he will most certainly not be able to back Gorongwana on any of the substantive things that Gorongwana quite clearly see our country needs. This is a damning indictment of the intellectual weakness of the ANC, and the leadership vacuum at its top. It is a, it is just a party in utter shambles. And as you know, that makes me happy in some way. So let me read the sort of final passage in the ANC here, ANC's manifesto here, because it gives you, as you mentioned earlier, Herman, that it's a, an ideological document. And I think this points it out more than any other. And then McCorn, I'll get your final thoughts on this. Um, <clears throat> so it says, Quote, the ANC calls on women, youth, rural, urban, business, labor, faith-based organizations, civil society, traditional leaders, taxi associations, the LGBTQI+, people with disabilities, the middle strata, intellectuals, military veterans, students, our diaspora, sports, arts and culture workers, traditional healers, to join us to defend and advance our freedom so that together we can do more as active citizens of our beloved South Africa. They left our toddlers. They left our toddlers. I mean, this it's is this is an ages. This is an ages document. They did say youth, Herman. It's it's they're trying to be a, a people pleaser with that um last statement by mentioning even people of wholly opposing ideologies, like you said, being an ideological document. But I think trying too hard to be a people pleaser and perhaps even to counter some of the um, competi competition among parties like AMK and EFF that the ANC will encounter. And so you see them making that appeal. But I don't think you should necessarily chuck it off to being a joke. I think the, all those groups of people play a significant role <laughs> in how the election outcome um, is delivered, especially those traditional councils, I am telling you. So I think yeah, it's it's it, it's not a joke that last paragraph. It symbolizes a huge population of the country that will certainly be queuing up by the droves to vote for the ANC. But it's it's about as subtle as Donald Trump launching sneakers to attract the black vote. It's just like you know, let's 
I will I, I, imagine Donald Trump making a speech saying, <clears throat> I will bring back jobs in Florida, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, uh, Wisconsin. It, it's just if you could if you could transparently list the people you just want to tick off as your support staff. But it really is. I mean, it's it's not a joke. I'm not. It, but it is ridiculous. It is. It's, it isn't it's funny. But it's laughable. <laughs> it's, but it's bad politics. It's it has bad. Good identity politics has good currency, whether you like it or yes, not. Yes, yes, yes. But identity politics. I've I've been studying identity politics for a long time. I've never seen a call up to the NGOs as a wonderful beacon of NGOs of the world unite or identity politics can work if you base it on sort of an ethnic or a spiritual linguistic grievance. But this is a sectoral breakdown of essentially the South African society. It, it doesn't put them anywhere. Yeah, it's kind of, it's just so, it's also just kind of weird. It's like this strange long list and then he sort of gives you an idea of the way the ANC sort of views the country um it's like uh, it's like say, they ask chat gpt who who needs to vote for us I, I will say that it's nice uh uh if you wanted to pull a silver lining out of this that 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 the ending paragraph doesn't make any mention of race um which i think is actually a nice thing uh, okay, let's go on to our next story, and we're going to stay with uh, the ANC, and uh, uh, but also MK. Uh, the ANC um, launched this manifesto at Moses Mobita Stadium in KZN over the weekend on Saturday, I think it was, and um, the media is reporting that there have already been significant numbers amounts of intimidation and violence between. Uh, members of the MK party and the ANC. Uh, as we know, the A ANC IFP and the IFP NFP have had a very bad history of violence in KZN in particular. It seems now that MK is, is joining the party. Um, there have been at least 40 incidents of intimidation between ANC and MK people since MK was formed. So that's, what, only a few months. Um uh, some people from the MK party said that they had uh, had violent insults, uh, violent threats and intimidation um, against them by the ANC. Um, a spokesperson for the MK party says, the fact is that the ANC of Ramaphosa can't engage in dialogue, but must resort to violence and threats. What's been happening is an indication of the inability to accept that people are tired of its lies and empty promises and want change. Um, MK party leader said that during one of the by-elections, some of their people were beaten up and others received death threats. Uh, others were intimidated during meetings. Um, uh, the ANC says that some of its voters were harassed, intimidated, and threatened by MK party people um, uh, during a by-election and were in fact chased away from a polling station um, around Newcastle. Um, also, a little detail on this, the story reporting on this, which was from City Press, that apparently no one in the ANC thought that Zuma was going to start campaigning for an opposition party, um, which is a kind of an interesting detail. So, McCorney, let me start with you. What do you make of this? Um, this seems like KZN is only going to get more dangerous uh, as we head closer to the election. Definitely, given KZN already has some of the highest political killings that we see in the country. I think that nobody truly expected MK to be as content a contender in in the in the fight for KZN, but you also see it in how 
the EFF, the NK, and the NC all launched their manifestos in KwaZulu-Natal, right? Why wouldn't the EFF um, launch its manifesto in a place like Limpopo, where Julius Malema is from? But everybody's targeting um, KwaZulu-Natal because there's real political competition there. And so I think even with the MK winning that by-election a few weeks ago shows that they've become a real contender and a threat to the ANC, um, especially, but also to parties like the IFP. Um, so I think we will, if this truly does come to violence, widespread violence in KZN, we should expect something like the KZN riots of July 2021, which quite scary, honestly. Um, I think that even President Ramaphosa's cast um, suspicion over reports about those KZN riots that exclude the internal factional wars in the ANC that spilled over, allegedly spilled over and resulted in the riots in KZN. And so this would be KZN July riots 2.0. Um, but I, I think that they will work to keep it contained and I've seen somebody like Julius Malema come in to temper down um, the temperatures as far as political violence is concerned. Very unusual for him. <laughs> Absolutely. Very impressive too. <laughs> so I, so that, I, might, that might just uh, be a part of the fact that the EFF does not stand to gain particularly because they are definitely going to be at the sharp end of the stick, so to speak, in any political violence in KZN. No, for the first time, they've even been made irrelevant, right? All attention now is between uh, uh, ANC and the MK. So, uh, Herman, you know, we talk about the possibility of, uh, in the place like KZN or, or nationally, the ANC and EFF coming together or the ANC and MK coming together, because, of course, they have very similar views on the world. Um, a lot of them are all former, you know, the majority of their members are all from the ANC originally. Um, but one does wonder whether that will be possible if the entire election campaign is filled with everyone murdering each other, um, particularly in a place like KZN. What do you think? Yes. So um, perhaps let, let me explain. Um, I think one of the reasons why we're seeing Malema being an odd voice of rationality and calm is because he knows that if MK does well in Natal, the smallish footprint that the EFF had in Natal is gone. And one of the problems, and, and uh, Malema isn't one for political miscalculations. He's actually strategically generally quite sound. Tactically, he is, he's a fox and he, you know, but, but strategically, he has positioned himself over the last 10 years as um, the, the guy who will carry on Zuma's war against white monopoly capital. And the problem is, why go see the Tribute Act when you can see Elvis on tour? That's the problem that the EFF is facing now. That, they, that the, it, its voters might you know, say, why why the EFF if, if we can have Zuma? Zuma is um, a force in South African politics. He's, he's a bit like Boris Johnson in the sense that he's been knocked down more times than people can count. He has been 
written off more times than people can count. And I'm surprised by MK's rise. But something that we must remember about Cousin Natal, uh, beyond the fact that it's the most contested, you know, uh, bloody um, uh, region of South Africa's politics, Mandela and I think 1993, particularly, specifically intervened in the ANC's provincial structures to have Zuma in charge of building the ANC's structures in Husn Natal. And he was again dispatched at the end of Mandela's presidency to oversee the ANC's fight back against the IFP who won the province in 1994. This is a man with possibly the most comprehensive, expansive, and in-depth knowledge about the politics of KwaZulu-Natal, where the skeletons are buried, who buried them, and under what circumstances they were buried. This is a guy who built the branches of the ANC that his party is now taking over one by one. So making of all this, I don't see a, a national, uh, 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 coalition between MK and the ANC. And it's worth pointing out that if if, if they get 20% in KZN, that's about 5% nationally. Um, so they would be a big player, the MK party in parliament. But what I would point out is the fact that a national coalition might be uh, not necessarily the natural culmination of the strategy. But go look to how the IFP in Kuzminatel and the ANC in Kuzminatel have always had a difference in relationship than the ANC nationally and the IFP nationally. Don't be surprised to see an ANC MK collaboration in Kuzminatel with the ANC in Kuzminatel doing their own thing against the will and against the wishes of the ANC nationally. Interesting stuff. Okay, uh, McConnick, any final thoughts before we close up for today? I also think the the manifesto launches will be a competition of who can buzz the most people and who can give out the most food parcels and who can give out the most t-shirts, which in that aspect, I think the ANC wins multiple times over. Um, but perhaps we will also see what Herman speaks about, which is that those um, divisions of the ANC that... Zuma built with his bare hands will submit to him in ultimate loyalty to him over the ANC. Obviously something to watch. Um, we'll see if MK can hold on to what they've got so far. Uh, it's going to be a tough election campaign in KZN. And uh, I do say, do think that, that this is a very difficult place for the ANC to be in because they're under attack now from so many different directions. Um, you know, when you want, when you lurch to one side to like get MK and EFF people back on board, then you're going to lose people who may have gone to the IFP or the DA on the other side, and it's just a, <laughs> it's a very nasty place to be in. Um, that being said, though, they did manage to fill their stadium and and have it work uh, sort of mostly well, as far as I can tell, um, in KZN, which uh, speaks more about their organizational skills than I think. Um, has has perhaps been the you know what people might have expected considering the ANC's difficult position, but we shall have to see whether they can keep that up. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. We hope you found the show interesting, and we will be back tomorrow with the Daily Friend Show. Cheers, everyone, and have a wonderful day.